The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. All right, let's dive into uh, the meat of God's Word today for us. Uh, today we're continuing in John chapter 13. Now, for those of you that have been on this journey with us, we've looked at the last three years of Jesus' life, uh, his, his ministry years, where he has been setting up many signs. He's been performing many miracles. He's been loving. He's been serving. All to point us to the love of the Father, to the kingdom. Every sign has a reason. Signs point us in the right direction. Jesus' signs were pointing us to seeing who he is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to experience love. There's no other way to experience life. There's no other way to the Father in heaven except through him. And we are now in the last hours of his life. Chapter 13, where we're going to be reading from today up till about chapter 18, all happens in a matter of a few hours. And so while we've been kind of looking at verse by verse, I'm going to jump around today a little bit because the conversation that Jesus starts after the Last Supper, the meal that we talked about two weeks ago, when he washed the disciples' feet, He begins this conversation preparing them, it's now night. Not just literally, it's not just the time of day is night, but in his life, day has ended and night has come. Throughout his life, he had been saying terms like, work while it is still day, for night is coming. There were times when they sought to arrest him or to take his life from him, and he said, my hour has not yet come. He is now saying, night has come, my hour is here. And he, for the first time, is is telling them, and they're getting it. While I've been with you, we've been living life together for three years. It's now time for me to leave. And this rocks their world. Everything they were hoping for, they were hoping that Jesus was coming to not just come and be a great example, but to establish his kingdom physically, right here, now, and yet he is saying, I've come to establish a heavenly kingdom. And the work that I've begun, as I leave to go be with the Father, the Holy Spirit is going to come to give you the power you need to continue the work that I have begun in you. And a new command I'm going to give you here and now today, a new commandment, that you love one another. We've heard that before. Leviticus 19, it was in the law of the Old Testament. So what is this new commandment about? We're going to get into that. So let's, let's take a snapshot through the eyes of John the disciple who's captured these words for us that we might be transformed. Everything he's written, he's written that we might hear them and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So the meal had been served. Jesus had gotten up and taken the position of the lowliest servant. He had taken off his outer garment. He had tied a towel around his waist. He had got the water basin used for cleaning. None of the disciples' feet had been washed, as far as we can tell. And he goes up to each disciple, taking on the form of a servant, bending down and washing their feet. At first, Peter uh, rejects him and says, no, 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 you're you're the king of kings. You're the teacher. You're the Lord. There's no way you're washing my feet. Unless I wash your feet, Peter, you will have no part of me. Well, then wash my hands and my head. I want all of it. Well, 
You don't need a whole bath right now, Peter. It's just your feet that are dirty. But not all of you. You see, Jesus was not just talking about physical ways of serving and loving, but spiritually, Jesus had come to wash and renew them by the shedding of his blood. He was about to go to the cross. In just a few hours, he would be arrested, put through a mockery of a trial, and taken put through Roman crucifixion on a cross for us in our place. And yet he said, no one takes my life. I lay my life down, and I have the authority to take it back up again. And so he has washed the feet of the disciples. He has had taken the Passover meal that had been served and given it a new meaning. This meal was in remembrance of the Passover lamb of the of, of, of your forefathers who years ago in Egypt in slavery, the, the, the promise of the Passover would happen where, where the angel of death would pass over the families in the lands of Egypt and anyone who had taken a lamb and had sacrificed the lamb and had taken the blood of the lamb and put it on the wooden doorposts of the home, the angel of the Lord would pass over sparing their lives. And Jesus said that was all a symbol pointing to me. I am the lamb whose blood would be shed, whose blood will be put on the doorpost of the cross. And for those of you who put your hope and trust in me, death will pass over you. And you will enter from death into life, being made children of God. He had taken the meal and he said, this bread now is a symbol of my body broken for this cup is a symbol of my blood shed for you as often as you eat of this meal from here on out. No longer do it as in memorial of what has happened, but in me going to the cross to die for you in your place. At the same time, in order for Scripture to be fulfilled and for these events to unfold, there was a betrayer in their midst. One of the, the 12 disciples, one of his own, would be betray him. And this is the evening where it would finally take place. And Jesus says these words. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. He said these things. Now that word troubled there in verse 21 is the same word in John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Many of us, we become fearful and we have doubt Many of these disciples are going to doubt even the words of Jesus. But his words are, do not fear. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And yet Jesus' heart was troubled. There's, there's different kinds of trouble in this world. There's, there's, the, there's trouble that leads us to worry and stress and fear. And that is... Uh, that is of the evil one. That is, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts doubt. Let not your hearts be afraid of what you're going to face. For I will always be with you. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And there's another kind of trouble that hurts down on the inside. This word is also the word compassion. The kind of trouble inside that moves one to action. The scriptures tell us that Jesus had this kind of trouble the word was splagdazomehi, which is the word of urging in the spleen. 
Have you ever seen something and had so much compassion that it actually hurt? That you saw someone in pain and you hurt so much for them that you felt that same sympathetic pain on the inside? This is the kind of trouble that Jesus was experiencing. He had pain for the lost, pain for the hurting, and yet at the same time, he was troubled for what he knew was about to happen. Going to the cross. While, while Jesus was fully God, he became fully man, and he suffered as we suffered. And the pain that he was going to feel, he was going to feel every bit of it. The physical pain of the nails going through his feet and hands, the physical pain of the crown of thorns being shoved upon his head, the physical pain of having his beard ripped out and his face punched as they mocked him and made fun of him. And yet the words of Jesus, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was troubled. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. What what are you talking about? No one here is going to betray you. One of his disciples, verse 23, whom Jesus loved. Now, of course, Jesus loved all of them. This disciple identifies himself not by name. It's the one writing this book. And at the end in chapter 21, uh, he actually says it is he, the disciple who wrote these things, who was an eyewitness to all of these things. John is next to Jesus, reclining at the table at Jesus' side. And so Peter looks across the table and motions to John and says, ask Jesus who he's talking about. So that disciple leans back and he says to Jesus, Lord, who who is it? And Jesus answered him. And I believe, and and many, many scholars and theologians believe that Jesus said these words quietly to John. Because what, what happens after this, nobody has a clue what's going on. So I think that John leaned over and said, Jesus, who's going to betray you? And Jesus turns to John and says, So he dipped the morsel, and he gave it to Judas, the son of Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Satan physically entered the body of Jesus. We don't have time to get into spiritual warfare, but angels and demons are real. Satan was a, it was a, an angel created by God, one of the, the highest of all angels. And yet Satan had pride well up in his life and, and said, I don't want to serve you, God, not your will, but my will. I will rise up. I will take the throne. And Satan, with pride, was cast out of heaven. And a third of all the other angels, the scriptures tell us, fell with him. And those became Satan and the demons who literally live in this world and physically are moving in and about this world to keep us from seeing the love of the Father. They've come to lie, to kill, to steal, and destroy. And Satan himself enters in to the body of Judas to perform this last and final act of betrayal. 
Jesus knows what is going on. And Jesus speaks to Satan, who is in Judas, and says, what you are going to do, go and do quickly. From that point on, Judas goes and puts into action. Later that night, he'll bring um, guards to arrest Jesus, and he will betray Jesus with a kiss. And Jesus will go be arrested and put through crucifixion. Now, no one at the table knew why Jesus said this. All that were sitting around the table except John knew what was going on. John knew what was going on. No one else. They just saw Jesus give Judas some bread, and then Jesus said, hey, go and do what you got to do. Do it quickly. And so some were thinking, oh, maybe he's going to buy some food for the feast because he's the treasurer. He handles the money. Or maybe he's going to take care of the poor, the scripture tells us. Verse 30, so after receiving the morsel of bread, he, Judas, immediately went out and hid with his disciples. Darkness is here. But it is in the darkest of dark that the light shines the brightest. And Jesus' words now ring true with power. It is night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. Jesus did not say here, Now it is time for me to die. That would have been a true statement, but what is the bigger truth here is not the fact that Jesus is going to die, but the fullness of the glory of God is about to be shown like no other time in history. Where God becomes flesh... And Jesus, as God, takes on and becomes our sin. Think of the sins that so easily entangle you. Think of the sins that you're even contemplating doing later today or tomorrow. The sins that so easily entangle, the temptations that come All of that sin, Jesus took upon himself. It wasn't nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love for us that allowed him to bear the weight of our sin and our shame. When he who knew no sin became our sin and took our place in the greatest act of glory ever. Jesus dying in our place and not staying dead. Three days later, he will rise in victory, conquering sin and death and giving us the opportunity to have forgiveness in new life. Jesus was born to die, but this is not tragedy. This is the glory of God shown to us while we were yet sinners Christ demonstrated his love for us in this he gave his life for us in our place now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him if God is glorified in him God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once reason I've come, my hour is here, night is here, 
the darkest time is when the light will shine the brightest. And I am about to shine for you. I am about to come and do what only I can do. So little children, Jesus uses this term of endearment. It's the first time in scripture we see this phrase. And these words stuck in the heart of John the writer so deeply that later he's going to write another letter to loved ones, to the church. The book is called 1 John. John, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John, also wrote the book of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. And if you want to see a bigger picture of what verse 33 through 35 means, read 1 John. Little children, love one another. What does that look like? Read 1 John and go and obey it. Little children, my children. The truth is, is that each and every one of us is created by God, the creator, but not everyone knows him as father. And not everyone has the ability to call him father as a child. Unless you have come and been bought by the righteous blood of the lamb. That right is available to any who would believe in him and receive it. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews. So now I also say to you where I am going now, you cannot come. What are you talking about, Peter says. We're going to come back to verse 34 and 35 at the end. Jesus says, I love you. You are my little children. But what I am about to do you cannot do. Where I am about to go, you cannot come. Peter says in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward. What are you talking about, Peter said? Why can I not follow you now? I'm going to give a, I, I'd do anything for you. I'll lay down my life for you. I'm going wherever you go, Jesus. And I will lay down my life for you. Peter, you don't get it. What, am I, what I am about to do, where I am about to go, no one else can go. You cannot go where I am about to go. You cannot do what I am about to do. And you're telling me you're going to lay down your life for me? Oh, Peter. really lay down your life for me. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times today. We cannot do what only Jesus can do. Jesus came for one purpose, to die for us, to take our place on the cross, to become our substitutionary atonement. Jesus was not just a moral man and a good teacher. He was God in flesh and never sinned. He was the one to come to become the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world and even the best of us fall short. Peter, yes, you, you're passion for me and you say you want to give up your life for me in a couple hours you're going to draw your sword and you're going to try to kill for me, but you cannot do what I am about to do. 
none of you in your most righteous rightness, in the most goodest way that you think you can live, it cannot do what I have to do. The scriptures tell us that all of us are our, our, our best righteous. It's like filthy rags. We cannot earn God's favor. None of us are good enough. We all are stained with sin. Nobody has to teach us how to sin. We are born with a sin nature. And we stand in condemnation before a loving God until the moment that we come before him and admit that and confess our need for our Savior. We are doomed to separation and destruction from our Heavenly Father. But Jesus makes it possible. By him doing what only he could do, no other good person could have went to the cross and died in our place. It was only Jesus himself that could pay the debt that all of us owe that none of us could never pay. Where I am about to go, you cannot go. Peter, tonight you're going to deny me three times. Later in John chapter 16 and Mark 14, you can read how Jesus even tells the rest of them, all of you are going to run. All of you are going to scatter. When when they come for me, you're all going to run in fear. Only I can do this. But even in this moment of compassion, there's no breaks. When, G- when John wrote this letter, there were no numbers, there were no chapters. And so the very words that follow in John chapter 14 continue. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And everybody sitting there is hearing this. But Jesus quickly says, let not your hearts be troubled. Your salvation is not dependent on who you are or what you can do. Our salvation was dependent on us, we'd all be damned. But our forgiveness and our salvation was bought with the blood of Jesus who gave up his life for us in our place. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. A few verses later, he's going to say, I am the only way. I am the truth and I am the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. This is my job. This is my role. This only I can do. But you will be able to follow afterwards. Let's take a deeper look at what is being said here. Jumping back to this verse we skipped, 34. 35. Jesus came to do what only he could do, but he calls us to do what we can only do through him. You cannot follow me and do this part with me, but afterward you will. And here is what I have for you to do. I will demonstrate the greatest act of love ever, and I will give up my life for you. And now in response to who I am and what I've done for you, Here is what you are to do for one another and for those who do not yet know me. A new command I give to you, verse 34, that you love one another. How is this new? Leviticus 19, we were told to love our neighbor as ourselves. This isn't a new word. 
So how is this a new commandment? I believe what Jesus is saying here is answered in the next words. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. How did he love them? He loved them to the end. John 13, 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart this world to the, and go to the Father, having loved his own, he loved those who were in the world and he loved them to the end. Jesus calls us to love as he loved, not as the world loves. Many will love others who will love in return. We will love hoping to get something back in return for our love. We will commit acts of love, hoping that we will earn something. God loves unconditionally. We love romantically. Those who stir something up inside of us. But that love is based on feelings and feelings can ebb and flow and they can be there one day and gone the next. That's not the kind of love that God is calling us to. We can love as friends. Phileo love. A love that loves those who love us in return, that seeks the, 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 well, good, the goodness and well-being of a brother, of someone we care for and love. But Jesus says, I want you to have agape love, unconditional love, love that does not expect anything in return, love that loves to no end, love that is willing to put the needs of somebody else before the needs of yourself, love that is willing to die. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. But Jesus demonstrated even greater love while we were his enemies. He died for us still. A new command I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you also are to love one another. Jesus has now completed the pattern, the example for us to follow. We have seen God who is love. God doesn't just unfold love and pour out love. He is love. And we are told in in John chapter 15, again, this whole conversation is happening in the span of a couple hours. And so John, the, the stuff from John 16 and 15 and 14 all shed light on this commandment. A new command I give you to love one another. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So how does this love, how is this kind of love possible? How are we supposed to truly love those who hurt us? How are we supposed to truly love those who persecute us? How are we supposed to love those who hate us? Love and pray for even our enemies. John 15, 9 gives us Again, a picture of the fullness of the answer. As the Father loved me, Jesus said, so I have loved you. So abide in my love. Jesus is here saying the Father and all who he is, the love of our Father. God is love. He has poured his love into me. And now through the cross, I am pouring my love into you. Abide in that love. Abide, it means to be plugged into, rooted into. I could have the most powerful spotlight up here. And unless it's plugged in, it will shine no light. It will have no power. And you, as a brother and sister of Christ, you will not have the love of God flow through you unless you are abided and plugged into him. It's not enough just to know our God. We have to abide 
in our God. How do we abide? If you keep my commands, verse 10, you will abide in my love. Jesus said, he who wants to walk in the light must walk as I walk. Not enough just to know God and know the things he's done for you. You have to commit to dying to yourself and living in him by following him, walking in his footsteps and doing the things. You are my friends if you do what I've commanded you to do. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. You are my friends if you love me, and if you love me, you will obey me, and you will follow the things that I have shown for you to do. Jesus says in John 15, 5, that I, uh, I am the vine, and he uses this illustration. You are the branches. Branches don't get the nourishment unless they're connected to the vine. If the branches are broken off, they won't receive the, the flow of the nutrients and nutrition needed for the branches to be able to blossom and give forth fruit. So Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, are you plugged into God? Are you plugged into his word? Are you plugged into fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you loving on one another? Are we obeying his commands? And in that, the Holy Spirit flows and empowers us to love as he loved. But apart from The new command I give you is to follow my pattern, follow my example. As I've washed your feet, go and wash others' feet. Who in your life has dirty feet and they are simply waiting for the love of God to be shown through you as you come into their life and meet their need and clean their feet? Jesus is establishing a new pattern that we would love not just our own, those who are not yet of us. This is to be the brand of the body of Christ, of the church. If you see the brown truck coming down your street, you know that's UPS. If you see someone wearing a swoosh on their sneaker, you know that's Nike. Nike. Who corrected me? Is it Nike? Really? 48 years old just learned something new. That's weird. Our brand is love. They will know you are my disciples by your love. Not just loving those who can love you in return. Loving the poor, the needy, loving those who hate you, loving and praying for those who persecute you. I know many of us, sometimes we wish for punishment and justice, but when was the last time you prayed that God's love would pierce the heart of terrorists? That they would repent of their ways and come to know the love of our was the last time you prayed for those who are in prison because they've murdered or hurt police guards? That they would come to know the love of our Father. When was the last time you visited those who are sick in prison? And Jesus said, when you visited and loved and cared for the least of these, you were loving me. 
love as I have loved. I have set a pattern for you for you to follow. We are to love those who are not yet of this family, that they would come and know our Father who is in heaven. But we are also to love one another. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So brother and sister in Christ, how are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room? We are called to be a part of the broad, big church, one church, but we're also called to be a part of the local, the small church. And we're called to love one another. And loving one another looks like foot washing. It looks like a team of people that showed up this morning with clean uh, bottles of cleaner to wipe down the play panels and the toys that are being played with by your children right now. Love looks like those who set up and tore down this morning at 7.30 so that we would be able to enjoy fellowship and worship together and to drink coffee and to enjoy a nice bagel donated by Panera. We're to love and to serve those who are not yet a part of us, but we're also called to love and to care for one another. One of the best ways that we can do that is joining a team here at Hope Hill Church and taking care of the body, taking care of one another. We have prayer teams. We have care teams. We have teams who provide meals for those who have been in the hospital or recently had a, a baby or, or someone that's gone through a surgery. And we have teams that teach English as a second language and teams that give organized coats and clothing and pass out blessing bags of food. And the list go on and on. How are you loving? Are you loving? This is a new commandment, not a new suggestion. A new commandment I give you, love as I have loved. One of the greatest ways that we can love on one another is through our small groups, our community groups, where you can get to know each other more intimately and more deeply and pray for one another and celebrate life's wins with one another and enjoy birthdays and celebrations and concerts and picnics and also help each other during times of struggle and need. Look at the, you want to see a great example of the church? Look at Acts chapter 3. Yes, they gathered together in bigger assemblies, and in the first week, in the first day, 3,000 people were newly converted to put their faith and trust in Jesus. But then after that, they met in each other's homes, fellowshipping and sharing meals with one another and praying for each other and and buying and selling things to take care of each other's needs. We are called to love one another. And this love can only happen if we surrender to the fullness of who Jesus is and walk in his footsteps and allow the power of his Holy Spirit to enable us to die to ourselves because sometimes it is hard to love. many of you have ever had someone in your life that's hard to love? Jesus calls us to love one another. So this week, think about that person who you prayed for earlier, who you believe God wants to use you to reach out to them, to invite them to our Easter service. How will you love them this week? It's one thing to ignore that coworker from now till Easter. 
and be your grumpy old self who sits in your cubicle and gets your job done and comes and goes and leaves. It's another thing to reach out and say, hey, Bob, how you doing? How's your family? Is there anything I can pray for you about? Or to even just be in tune to hearing the conversations that are happening in the offices and maybe God will put you in tune to something that's going on. And you'll be able to say, oh, I heard your movement. You know what? Could you use some extra hands? I'd love to come and help. My son and I, what's your address? We'll come and help you move this week. We serve. We love so that we earn the right to be loved. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, by this, by what? By loving each other. All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray. As our worship team comes, I want you to be in prayer right now. Asking God, Lord Jesus, show me where you want me to be more of a person of love in my home, God. How can I be more loving? Show me right now, Lord Jesus. Let that be your prayer. Pray with me right now. God, in my home, how can I be more loving? Ask him to help you to do whatever it is he's revealing to you right now. Jesus, help me be that person of love in my home. Now go a step further. Lord Jesus, right now in my neighborhood, show me how I can be more a person of love in my neighborhood. Holy Spirit, help me to be obedient, to take the steps, to do what it is you're laying on my heart to do right now. God, at my place of work, God, at my school, How can I be more of a person of love? God, show me right now the face of somebody who you want me to love. That they might come to know you. God, I pray for each and every image, every face that is being seen in the hearts and minds that are are gathering here. We lift them up to you right now. We pray your Holy Spirit would open their hearts. We pray your Holy Spirit would give us boldness and courage to do what it is you want us to do, to go and to wash their feet, to meet their need, to be a shoulder to cry on, to cheer them on in their time of victory. Help us to be ambassadors of Father God, I also pray for those in this room who may not know you and your love. If you're here today, Jesus wants you to know that he loves you. And the only way that you can truly experience the fullness of his love 
is if you call out to him and you ask him to come in and to fill your life. Jesus loves each and every one of us. But you having a relationship with Jesus is a personal decision that you have to make. It isn't enough just to know who he is. You have to invite him in to your life. If you believe that he died on the cross for you, that he took your sin and your shame upon himself, then he promises to exchange his life for your brokenness. If we confess we are sinners, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So right here, right now, thank him for his love and invite him in. If that is you, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Come into my life. Forgive me for the things that I've done that are wrong. Forgive me for living life apart from you. Help me to learn what it means to follow you, to put my trust in you. Come into my life. Let your Holy Spirit come and make me new. Help me to follow you. If you prayed that prayer with me just now, I'd love to celebrate that with you in a moment. I'm going to come down to the front row as our worship team closes us out in a time of prayer. And if you gave your heart to Jesus today, I'd love to celebrate with you. Come to me and just say, Pastor John, today I invited Jesus in. I've accepted his love. I want to follow him. I want to be made new by him. I want to be forgiven by him. I want to live for him. And I'd love to pray with you about that. If you've got anything else going on in your life that is a struggle and a burden, we are called to carry and love one another by carrying each other's burdens and praying for one another. So our prayer team partners will be at the front waiting to pray with you as well about anything that's going on. You're not here to carry this set of burdens in this life alone. Jesus said in this life you will suffer, but I will be with you. And we are called to be there to bear one another's burdens. And today, if you're seeing for a new fresh way that God wants to use you to be an example of love and a vessel through which his love flows through. Beg him for the boldness and the courage that he can give you to be the vessel of love. In the four corners of our room, we remember that this is all only possible by taking the bread and the cup. Jesus said, as you often as you eat of this bread, Remember my body broken for you. He took the cup that night and he said, as you taste of this cup, remember my blood shed for you. So as our worship team leads us, I invite you to the four corners of the room to remember what Christ did for us as you take a piece of that bread. For those of you that are children of God, this is an invitation for you. If you've not given your life to Christ, come to him first and then come enjoy this meal. Eating of this bread, drinking of this cup and remembering He died for us so we can live for him. So let's stand now and respond in love out of what he's done for us. Respond now as the Lord leads you.